It's time to make the dough rise, the financial podcast with Brian Doe. It's time for another edition of Make the Dough Rise. Believe it or not, our final show of 2020. Walter Storholt here alongside Brian Doe, certified financial planner at Living Worth Wealth Advisors, serving the Lake Country and beyond with an office in Greensboro, Georgia. Find us online at retirementrescue.net. Brian, great to be with you. Can you believe it? The final show of this crazy year is upon us. We finally made it. What a year. (laughs) What a year indeed. Um, Boy, before we get into today's topic, and of course, we're talking about Bitcoin. You probably already know that by looking at the title of today's show. It's kind of like we've come full circle with this episode, Brian, because I feel like heading into the year, Bitcoin was one of those major topics that everybody was talking about. And now it's just largely been forgotten about through all the other issues that have popped up in 2020. But now we're going to circle back to it just to kind of uh, bookend this year with some good talk about this very exciting investment that so many people seem to be interested in, Bitcoin. Is it indeed the way of the future? We're going to kind of explore some of those questions on today's show. But that's kind of a nice round way to end the year, I think. Yeah, well, Bitcoin is a little bit like the pizza oven right now. Okay, do tell. Give me more details. It's hot. Hot, (laughs) hot, hot. hot. (laughs) Don't overcomplicate it. Walt, it's a hot pizza oven. That's all there is to it, right? (laughs) No, it's, uh, and that's the thing. It has come back onto the radar, splashed back onto the radar here at the end of the year. I've been following this trend or or development for a long time, really since about 2000 and what, maybe 12 or 13. I forget when I first heard about it, but it was down at... Twenty twenty five dollars a coin up from three. I thought, oh, missed that. Um, it proceeded to go to a thousand. It's, it's bounced all over the place since, and I think it's currently trading in the eighteen thousand to nineteen thousand dollar range. But uh, a couple things have hit, that caused this to pop onto my radar, and what I wanted to talk about it was my wife Laura went to the doctor. She came back. She said, oh, they had a sign in the lobby that they're accepting Bitcoin as payment. So no you can way. Now, Why? Yeah. You can now go to, uh, I, I guess, cutting edge providers and, and use Bitcoin to pay your co-pays or bills, whatever it is. Well, take that tooth out for a tenth of a Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. How many uh, millibits per, uh, per oh extraction, goodness. I guess, would be the... <laughs> I mean, just from my time of traveling in other countries, which has not been super extensive, but enough experience to know that it can be difficult. When I was in China, always try to do those conversions to figure out if what you were paying was a good deal or not, you know, kind of back into your, uh, like learning another language. You've got to kind of like retranslate it back into English to try and understand it. I feel like you have to do that with currency too, whether you're, you know, traveling up in, uh, in, in Europe or maybe out in, uh, in somewhere, you know, in an Asian country. You're kind of always, uh, or, or when we were dealing with pesos down in Mexico, you're trying to undo everything back into dollars to figure out if it's a reasonable cost for that item. I can't imagine trying to do that with Bitcoin because of one, the way it fluctuates, and two, the value of a coin is so high that it just seems like madness trying to figure that out. Yeah, you'd literally be buying things down at the third, fourth, fifth decimal point uh, of a fraction of a Bitcoin. So we'll, we, and we can talk about that here in a second with the advantages. And, and foreign currency and currency exchange is one of the great advantages to adopting something like Bitcoin. So that's a little foreshadowing into what we'll get into on the benefits. But what I'm, what I'm actually doing today, I've got a client that is determined 
to buy some Bitcoin. Oh, that was my next question for you. Are you are we just sort of like talking into thin air here, or are people actually coming to you with interest in this in this whole thing? Yeah, no, that, that's a very good question. I, I have uh, several clients that have bought a little bit. They've dabbled with it. They you know they set up the wallet. They bought a few coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin. There, there's multiple out there, but it dropped off the the radar after a while and now that it has come back onto the radar because you know bitcoin's hitting highs again i checked back in with the the people who were buying it in the past and oh they were you know well yeah i dabbled with that but now i can't find my password for the wallet and they're they're having trouble getting back into that then i've got another client who's determined to actually buy some. So this afternoon, we're going to get on the phone. We're going to, I've never actually gone through the process of setting up the wallet and the account. And it's a whole process that you have to go through to actually hold, own, and trade Bitcoin. So the, the, later this afternoon, I'll probably you know, have a better, we could do it, come back and do a tutorial on that. So yeah, yeah, people are actually buying it. You can be in Bitcoin without having to actually mine your own coins and have a server farm and do all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, and, and I don't want to get into the whole topic of mining it. And you know, <laughs> I think I had a neighbor at our old house uh, two years ago mining Bitcoin. In his yeah. garage, there were always these bright lights and I, the sound of fans always, constantly, day and night, blowing and making noise and glowing, literally, from the garage. And I know that he worked in tech and for like a video game company, and he was into into a lot of digital stuff. I have a feeling he was maybe mining Bitcoin or something back there. So. Probably so. Yeah, there's a whole massive uh, computer network of servers that have to go into storing, record keeping, uh, and that, that dispersed network is actually what um, you know makes it le- legitimately you know trackable, and and you have your own unique ID that's validated by all these servers. So yeah, it's very computer processing power intensive and those server farms and they generate a lot of heat and uh, use all kinds of uh, computer equipment to, to to mine the Bitcoin so that that that's a whole process into itself if you're interested in mining Bitcoin I'm talking about just going out and you know on the current market just just buying setting it up and, and buying Bitcoin we're going to the grocery store to buy the corn, not having to actually plant it in our backyard and grow right, it. Right, right. Yeah, you don't have to go buy 40 acres to, to make this happen. The difference, though, Brian, is that we get the concept of, of where the corn comes from, right? We get the mm-hmm. idea that there's a seed, you plant it, it grows, someone brings it to you, and then you're going to buy it. Now, we're then consuming things like corn, but we're not exactly consuming the, the Bitcoin, but same kind of principle applies. There's an understanding there. The problem with Bitcoin is that just right there from the growing, right, it just it doesn't compute for many people, to use a bit of a pun, um, into like mm-hmm. what the, what that means, what it is. It's very complex. What does blockchain mean, the, the decentralized computer network? I mean, you can see it just gets dense, denser and denser, if you will, <laughs> as you mm-hmm. get into it. And so I've asked a lot of people, a lot of financial advisors over the last couple of years about Bitcoin. And their answers usually are short and and just kind of, eh, well, you know, retirees really shouldn't be speculating with their money with something like this because it has too many unknowns. Therefore, we should just kind of ignore it or step around it is sort of the impression that I get. But you don't seem like that's exactly the route that you want to take. You want to hit it a little bit more head on. Yeah, that, that's probably not a bad answer 
if you're you know just trying to be safe and and protect people and be practical and and avoid problems with regulators and, and lawsuits and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm I'm not out pounding the table to like go buy Bitcoin now, or and particularly now is you know with it at a a high again. I'm not pounding the table that it's a buy, but it's kind of a lazy answer to just dismiss this. I, I think you could do that years ago when this was just getting started. But as we look at what has happened over the past several years, and there's running debates. I, I think Planet Money was the uh, the podcast I was listening to years ago, and there was a super pro-Bitcoin advocate on there and a super you know, anti-Bitcoin. This is this is a going to end poorly kind of uh, advocate on there. And they actually created a bet that they ran over time to see, like, I think it was maybe three to five years, something like that. And if Bitcoin had become adopted, somebody was going to win, you know, I don't know if it was $1,000. They had a, a legitimate bet going. And if it had fallen off the radar and, and passed as a fad, the opponent to Bitcoin would have, have won the bet. Well, when they came back and did the review, it was still kind of a draw because Bitcoin has continued to exist, persist, and it's gaining some momentum slowly. But I would not say it's at a point where it's practical and, and people are, are just out buying their Starbucks with, with Bitcoin yet. But you know, it really is created out of the ether. So Bitcoin was created by a bunch of people hooking up computer servers and, and mining this Bitcoin. There's a finite amount of it. And by running these computer processing servers that make, make Bitcoin functional, the mining of it was where people would get basically rewarded for running the infrastructure to keep Bitcoin going. But you know, so, so now that it's going, you have to ask yourself, is it is it legitimate? Like, is this a real thing? So that this goes back to that uh, planet money bet. And to the point of legitimacy, Bitcoin is being used to pay for things. And if you go back to maybe 2013, 14, do you remember the Silk Road phenomenon? The website, right? Or the web network of some sort? Yeah, yeah. It was a web uh, online purchasing and people were selling like straight up illicit drugs. I don't know, probably undocumented firearms. I mean, there's all kinds the, of crazy the black stuff. market of the internet in a way, right? It, it truly was. It, it was sort of like the dark web paired with what they thought was, you know, kind of a anonymous payment system. Turns out the anonymity of Bitcoin was not so real. And, and so they were actually able to trace where all these transactions, you know, came from, at least the, the, the most offensive of them. And they, they, they shut that down. But the fact that Bitcoin could be used for ransom, for drug purchase, for money laundering, the critics would say, well, that's, that's proof that it's bad. Well, no, that's actually proof that it's viable and, and can be used. A lot of things find their origin or genesis in, in somewhat illegitimate markets. That has happened with technology and the internet, and it was, it was all the salacious stuff that actually propelled some of these technologies forward to their more legitimate and practical uses. And I would say Bitcoin's going through that same evolution. Fascinating to kind of see how that's happening and how we can use something that is kind of a seedy underbelly as a reason for showing that something works. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's kind of, well, and, and, kind of and, different. And Bitcoin is really, at, in its essence, is, a, is what I would call a frictionless currency. If you look at the current banking system 
and all of the different foreign currencies around the world. If you've ever traveled, and uh, I think you were you were telling me a little bit about you know your travels, you go to a one country, you trade into the local currency, you head out to the markets and try to buy stuff, or go to restaurants and try and buy stuff, and you you're trying to do the math back into dollars. Well, then you you go to another country and you got a different currency, and and this always happened when you go to a, a country with like like England where the the currency is more valuable than the dollar. Then you, you everything looks cheaper, but it's actually more expensive. And then you go to somewhere where the exchange rate is like twenty five to one, and all of a sudden everything looks you know, incredibly expensive, but it's it's actually cheap. And you have to constantly do that math, and it gets it gets wearisome if you're crossing multiple countries. And that's part of why the euro was established in in the European Union was to cut down the frictional cost of trading and doing commerce in all these different currencies. Because you can imagine within the United States, if every state had their own currency and you wanted to you know, travel to Alabama and you know head across the country, you, you could deal with 50 different currencies by the time you saw the entire United States. And so that's that's what the EU was trying to accomplish with the the euro. So Bitcoin is actually something that without frictional cost, without currency exchange cost, without fluctuations in in currency exchange values, it's really a very pure way to make payments, move money around the world. Uh, if you had you know, businesses going on or travels or missions going on in, in multiple countries, Bitcoin actually becomes a really good way to, to move money around the world without those barriers and costs. So should you buy it? <laughs> That's ultimately the question people are going to ask you, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, so if you look at what's at the adoption of it now, the company Square, the payment processor, which was uh, one of Jack Dorsey's companies who very tied in with uh, PayPal and some of the, the other financial technology companies. That, Square, that's the company when you go buy something from like a you know a, a side of the road food stand and they swipe your card on the little on the little square on top of their phones that kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the little white chip, or they've they've got a uh, little more complex registers, or some that uh, plug into an iPad, and uh, they have just taken over the the payment processing world by storm, especially in smaller retail firms. It gives you very good tracking and data. And, and anyway, Bit, uh, Square has done a lot with payment processing, revolutionizing, making it more efficient, using the data to help you know get loans to people who might need or qualify for loans. There's all kinds of cool stuff Square's doing. But they recently bought $50 million in Bitcoin. And you know they say that this you know, cryptocurrency aligns with their company's purpose. Well, you know, Jack Dorsey, I, I say what you like about him or don't like about him. I, I've got several opinions on him, but he's definitely done some innovative things with all of his companies and startups. And the fact that they're buying into Bitcoin and probably have plans to integrate it somehow with their, their payment system or to be able to use Bitcoin more efficiently, that could be a major advancement to the adoption and the usability and, and the functionality of Bitcoin. So I, I don't think you can dismiss it today like you could even two or three years ago as, oh, that's just a bunch of you know, tech nerds playing, you know, mo Monopoly, make up money on the internet. You've seen some comments by, you know, big bigger financial institutions that a few years ago were you know, really down on it or dismissing it. 
now they're actually saying, you know, this, that this could be a thing, this could be a, and, and I'll get into some of the reasons why valuation, current, uh, a, a store of assets. If you go back to our guns, gold and ammo uh, episode, uh, there, there could be some very legitimate reasons to put some of your money into something like Bitcoin, much like you would put something into gold as a hedge against a devaluing currency, as a hedge against uh, inflation. So all of those things become uh, reasons why you might want to consider buying it instead of just purely speculating on it. Like if you're buying it early on, you're, you're hoping that the price goes up. You know, so you buy Bitcoin at $200 and hopefully sell it for $30,000 and uh, you, you stick all that profit in your pocket. But if you're looking out at what's happening with the amount of death this country is taking on, the stimulus that we've had to do for coronavirus, uh, you've got a little bit of a supply shock with, with the shutdowns and the uh, in disruptions to the supply chain. So if you have less stuff being made and more money being pumped into the system, I don't care what the modern monetary theory people say, that is going to devalue your dollars. That, that's going to make your money worth less, not worthless, but worth less than it was you know, potentially yesterday or, or last year. And, and that, that trend seems to be accelerating. And as much as I try to listen to and understand where the modern monetary theory people are coming from, uh, it just, it frightens me that we have so many people now, and mainstream people, adopting this idea that we can borrow as much money as we want. You know, uh, treasury rates are so low right now. We should just print trillions of dollars, issue massive amounts of debt, and do all these wonderful social and environmental and, and uh, you know, health care for all and the Green New Deal. We can just pay for it with these free dollars that we basically have unlimited access to. That, that, those are the types of words coming out of uh, modern monetary theory proponents. And to see this getting adopted really by some mainstream, ma mainstream politicians and, and uh, talking heads, that frightens me. You know, so you could look at gold as a hedge against inflation or as a, a store of, of value. But what's the problem with gold? Well, it's, if you actually wanted to use it or to save it or to spend it, you got to haul around a sack of gold. You'd be like a pirate, you know, trouncing around with your chest of bullion and, and trying to pay for things with little little shavings of gold. Well, that, that is a highly inefficient system and in why paper currency was uh, adopted and, and accepted and, and, and utilized was just for the, the convenience. But now as everything's going more and more digital and technology, the gold is even less practical than it was before. And, and uh, cryptocurrency becomes a, an option in that you may not have the devaluation issue like you will with a dollar because there is a finite amount of it. They're, they're not going to wake up one day in the Federal Reserve or whoever's, you know, lording over Bitcoin and say, oh, we're going to, we, we don't think there's enough of it in the world. We're just going to pump a bunch more out there. So as a hedge against inflation, I think you're seeing a lot of institutional investors and a lot of affluent uh, investors really look at, hey, what, what is a hedge against 
a, a devalued currency or an inflated currency. And you know, I might have some gold or you know, gold buried in mason jars in the backyard, but cryptocurrencies, uh, Bitcoin specifically, become a, a viable option to say, hey, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily looking at this to speculate, invest, and trade on a day-to-day, but I might put uh, a little bit of money out there to be a, as, as a possible hedge against inflation. So we kind of have these uh, little bit competing ideas of just how many people and companies and businesses are ultimately going to adopt this. Where does it rise in its level of popularity? Does it stay niche? Does it truly kind of take over the world? I think those are things that people are always trying to to bet on and figure out. And probably what's driving these wild price swings is folks are just trying to figure out where its ultimate place is going to end up. Yeah, it, it's hot, then it's cold, and then it you know, it's up and it's down and it's bouncing all over the place. So the idea of just putting some money in there, like you could diversify currency exposure by, you know, having a, you know, British pound account, or you could have, you buy euros, you could buy yen, you, you could buy other world uh, currencies, no problem. Uh, you could even get involved with, you know, futures and foreign exchange transactions. I don't recommend that. But um, the the problem with Bitcoin becomes if you're actually going to use it. Okay, if you go abroad and you buy euros, for example, or any kind of foreign currency, if the price between the dollar and the euro fluctuates and you spend, let's say you bought euros and their value went up and then you spent them, you don't have to go back and pay tax on that gain. Like you could, you can convert your euros back into dollars and not have to you know, pay a tax there. Or if you spend the euros that are now more valuable, the, the IRS really allows some latitude there for uh, actual foreign currencies that you're, you're moving in between, you know, dollars and euros or dollars and yen. If one appreciates or one depreciates, you don't necessarily write off a loss or, or pay capital gains on the tax if it goes up or down in value. That is not true with Bitcoin. The IRS is eyeing this and they, they want to make sure they get their cut. And, and to be fair, the Federal Reserve's monitoring this because if there's a uh, alternative to the US dollar, then uh, they could potentially lose their ability to conduct the monetary policy that they want. But if you, going back to the price of going up and down, if you bought Bitcoin at $1,000 and it went up to $20,000, Fantastic. If you sold the Bitcoin, you could take your $19,000 profit and then go to the IRS and say, I've had a capital gain of $19,000. And you would pay, uh, as it looks right now, long-term capital gains taxes if it had been over a year, short-term capital gains or ordinary income if it had been under a year. That's easy enough if you're buying and selling a large block. But let's say you bought $1,000 worth of Bitcoin, it went up to $20,000, and then you wanted to go pay your copay, go to Starbucks, hit Target. I'm sure Home Goods would be a great place to go, and then DSW. And this is starting to read like my credit card statement right now. Uh, but anyway, if you, go, if you go spend at all those places and you drop 10 bucks here, 100 bucks there, you have to go back and report each one of those transactions capital gains because you've you've disposed of the bitcoin you've used it or you're part of way but it had appreciated 
And so now you've got to actually go back and on every single transaction, do a gain or loss calculation. If you're going to do it right, I think a lot of people aren't doing this, but as, as Bitcoin continues to get more popular, the IRS is, is making it difficult to really use this in a, a practical way for day-to-day -day purchases. It's interesting and hard to imagine those changes, but you know, it's been hard to imagine other changes in the past, Brian, and eventually the world moves us there, just like a lot of companies probably never thought that they would have a work-from-home structure and the coronavirus forced companies into it, and now many businesses are going to probably make that part of their long-term plan and structure. So uh, will it take some sort of major event like that to get Bitcoin into our into our conscious a little bit more? Or do you think it'll just continue to kind of slowly creep in and, and gain in popularity and effect across the world? Here's my prediction. And this, this goes back to the work that I had done in the past with uh, micro lending and looking at access to capital in third world uh, environments where there's a lot of poverty. Uh, if you've got you know, people that are living in substandard housing or maybe even not have housing, Interestingly, a lot of the people in poor countries have cell phones. Now, they're not fancy $1,000 smartphones. They're the cheap flip phones that have texting capabilities. But if you look in at uh, Kenya actually created a digital currency, which would basically, and it, it tracked to their sovereign currency. So it was actually based on something that the government could stand behind. But it was a way for the poor to have access to money without having to carry around, you know, either large amounts of cash or you know, like if it was gold or something like that. Well, if you don't have access to a bank, if you don't have access to a safe place to, to store that, cash actually becomes a very dangerous thing to have in that part of the world. So the ability to access banking and payment functions on your cell phone, on a cheap flip phone, has caused cryptocurrencies and digital currencies and digital payments to be adopted by some of the poorest people in the, on the planet because they don't have access necessarily to the, the traditional financial systems. They don't have bank accounts and uh, brokerage accounts and wire transfers and all that stuff. They, they need an ultra-low-cost way to make payments and, and do that from their cell phone, but then keep them safe from you know, being robbed or, or having their assets stolen. So it won't be necessarily the first world where we're, you know, we've got so many options. You know, I can pay with my credit card. I can do Apple Pay. I can you know, swipe a card through a square reader. I can still use cash. I, I have lots of payment options available to me. But if you go to the parts of the world, and it's the majority of the world, that is in the situation where they need something that's easy to use, super low frictional cost, and uh, is available to them anywhere that they've got a, a cell phone connection. I think this is going to percolate up from the bottom billions, and and that's going to be what potentially propels this to a you know a, a much much larger adoption. I don't have any proof of that. I don't you know have any way to. You know, to guarantee that that's what's going to happen. But if I had to predict who would first use uh, you know, just Bitcoin on a day-to-day -day, uh, transaction, it would actually be that segment of the global population. 
it is very funny how we ultimately adopt certain technologies. And I have a story from just a few days ago. I was at Fresh Market and uh, had gotten picked up one or two things already. And then it just hit me. I said, uh-oh, I forgot my wallet at home. Can't believe it. And I then thought about it and I said, well, maybe I can with, I don't know if they accept it here at Fresh Market, but maybe they do the whole pay with your phone thing and, you mm-hmm. know, that sort of deal. And so I took one item up to the front register and, and I asked her, you know, do you guys do that? And she said, well, we do the Apple thing. And I was like, well, I've got Android. I assume if you do the Apple, then it'll probably do the Android thing. And I said, well, let me go see if I can set it up real quick. And so there in the middle of the store, I just kind of went and stood next to the you know, in the produce aisle, got out of the way of everybody, pulled up my phone, uh, typed in a couple of things, pulled up Google Pay, logged in. And in a matter of 30 seconds, I had, uh, you know, my, it was able to link my cards without me mm-hmm. even having to have them present in front of me just because it remembered it from, you know, using it on the Internet and my accounts and things like that. A little scary, yep. I guess. But <laughs> yeah. walked back up to the front and said, OK, here's some peppermint bark and then held my phone up to the machine. Boom, paid. I said, well, that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, then sure enough, went out, got, got the rest of the stuff I was getting at the store, paid for it all. And I'm like, all right, I guess I'm. Uh, I'm now officially an adopter of the uh, pay with your phone technology. So, yeah. So it may just be uh, you know you, you forget your wallet and all of a sudden, boom, you're you're <laughs> propelled into the uh, 21st century. Look at there. Uh, next thing, I'll be paying point zero 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 four bitcoins for some peppermint bark. There you go. That's <laughs> indeed. That's, that's the next step. I found it hilarious. Uh, kind of a, a humorous end to the show here. Maybe just uh, there's lots of videos online where people have talked about in the early days of Bitcoin, what they were spending their Bitcoins on, not mm-hmm. realizing that they would eventually become extremely valuable like they are today. And so people are looking back and saying, I essentially spent $50,000 on a pizza. You know, I've seen those articles, yes. <laughs> and it's pretty wild when you, when you think about that and you go, wow, I hope that was a good pizza. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, it, it still probably wasn't as good as a Brian Doe pizza. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I would take, I would accept $50,000 uh, for a pizza. So if yeah. anybody, you know. Well, that's a really great question. Is- At the Brian Doe household, will you accept Bitcoin as payment for a pizza? Uh, if if the price is right, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Got to adapt uh, adapt with the times, Brian. Be ready for that question. It's I'm coming telling someday. you, yeah, clearly. <laughs> Very cool. Any final thoughts on this whole uh, Bitcoin madness? And uh, I, I imagine you're going to get more and more questions as time goes on about this, just like you are this afternoon in your call with those clients. No specific final thought, but just uh, you know, keep an eye on it. And I wanted to talk about it because it has splash back onto the the radar as as a hot topic again and and I worry about people getting excited about it when it goes up and then you know when it's down and out of favor you know everybody forgets about it and dismisses it and and that that's really the time it, it's the same as um, you know stocks buy low sell high and uh, if you can avoid getting emotionally caught up into it if you're going to accumulate it do so Use the standard investment practices, you know, dollar cost average. I'm going to put $500 a month or $1,000 a month into Bitcoin and just, you know, hold it. But I would also do the same with something like gold or another foreign currency. I mean, I would just, I would look at it as a way of diversifying, hedging, if you think inflation and, uh, you know, excess of money printing and and government debts could, could lead to a problem, which I do think it could. Then uh, yeah, it, it, I I would look at this as a just sort of a life raft or a a way to set some money out there that is apart from our current system. And uh, if you're an early adopter and it 
goes to $100,000, you know, fantastic. If it turns out to be just a fad and, and turns into nothing, well, the good news is the IRS will let you write off the loss if you have a loss. There you go. But I would not go in. I, I would not charge into it as though, hey, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna get rich. Or I'm gonna acquire a ton of this stuff. I, I would still, you know, exercise ex- extreme caution about accumulating a lot of it. Extreme caution. That's a good way to wrap up our 2020 podcast, right there. Extreme caution. Yep. <laughs> That's the theme of theme of this year with all that has gone on. Uh, let's end on a positive note, Brian. It is the end of 2020. Uh, non Bitcoin conversation here. Looking ahead to 2021, what's your outlook? Any positive thoughts as we end the year and, and turn, the, you know, turn the tide to a new calendar year? Well, I mean, we've, we've made it through the coronavirus. So we've you know, lived through the dot-com, September 11, Enron WorldCom scandals. We went through the uh, financial crisis. Every time one of these things hits, you know, everybody gets doom and gloom and, and overly concerned. But if we've made it through this year and the markets are finishing at or appear to be finishing at you know, all-time highs or near highs here, so remarkably and surprisingly, it has been a very good year for investors, for portfolios. So be grateful if you've participated in this. If if uh, I know there are a lot of people out there that need extra help this holiday season, so go out do something good. Go uh, go find somebody in need and and um, you know help those through that aren't I've never been on the positive end of a crisis before and somehow the market has other than second quarter you know it has really rallied back and a lot of money has been made in these tech companies and work from home companies so find a way to pay that forward and you know help help somebody that is in need because I know there's a lot of that out there and that would be a, a great thing to do at the over the holidays very good I like that sentiment absolutely Well, if you have any questions about anything that we've talked about on this episode or throughout our podcasts on 2020, it's always really easy to get in touch with Brian. All you have to do is go to livingworth.com. We've got lots of resources for you at the website. Uh, You can contact, even schedule a virtual meeting with Brian all from the website. It's at livingworth.com, and we'll link to that in the description of today's show down in the show notes section of your app. So go to livingworth.com. And uh, you can, you know, contact Brian, interact with some of the great elements and resources that we have there on the website and much more. And we're going to have lots of great things on tap for you in 2021. All new topics, things to talk about, uh, different things to discuss. We'll let sometimes the news drive us in different directions, Brian. But I know that you'll already be coming up with some great things for us to dive into uh, so that we can help people retire a little bit smarter and think about their finances in a way that will make them more successful. So I look forward to a great 2020 with you. I hope you have a great rest of the couple of weeks here in the holiday season. Happy New Year to you as well. And we're going to kick things off I think in just stunning and exciting fashion in 2021. All positivity going forward, right? I I would expect nothing less. We'll try and deliver (laughs) on it. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Brian. We appreciate it. And uh, thank you for listening to Make the Dough Rise. Glad you've been with us this year. We'll talk to you again in 2021. For Brian, I'm Walter. See you soon. Make the Dough Rise is brought to you by Living Worth Wealth Advisors with a central office in Greensboro, Georgia, but serving the Lake Country and beyond. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your favorite podcasting apps. Subscribe today and never miss an episode. Just search for Make the Dough Rise with Brian Doe. 
You can also visit MakeTheDoughRise.com to listen to recent episodes. If you'd like to contact the show or schedule a complimentary financial review with Brian and the team, just go to MakeTheDoughRise.com and get in touch through the website. Or call 706-451-9800. Thanks for listening to Make the Dough Rise. Investment advisory services offered through Main Street Financial Solutions, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed.